Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Nice to connect with all of you. Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. This is episode 56, Teaching Kids Indian Languages. In the conversation, you'll hear Anita Sakaraya and I chatting about our experiences of teaching our children different Indian languages as well as creating resources for others. This conversation was a part of the Lingua Cultura experience held on Clubhouse between June 24 and the 26th. So you'll hear a lot of people asking questions throughout the conversation as well as near the end. You can follow me on Clubhouse at Jessica Kumar and Anita at Bhasha Kids. That's B as in boy, H as in house, A-S-H-A. If you need a Clubhouse invite, message me on Instagram and I'll send you one. I also have a club on there called Indian Interracial Love, which I co-lead with a few others. We have talks every two weeks. So if you're on Clubhouse, check us out. This conversation was formed out of very deep experiences of being in the trenches of motherhood and uh, trying to teach our own kids different languages. So there's And there's a lot of wisdom that Anita also shares about her experience as an Indian American. Before we get into the conversation, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about Bhasha Kids, Anita's company. This is an incredible resource that we have really loved. It's more than a dozen pages of very engaging coloring books and super simplified, easy Hindi content that almost gamifies Hindi learning for young kids. You can download this and print it out at your own convenience in your home. And right now, Bahasha Kids is offering a discount to listeners of our podcast so if you go to the invisibleindiapodcast.com slash offers page, you'll see the Pasha Kids actually has two things on there. One is the Hindi printables, and then one are the Hindi flashcards. For the Hindi printables, you can use the code INVISIBLE to get $1 off your purchase. For the flashcards, you can use the code INVISIBLEINDIA. I hope you guys love these things as much as we do. All right. Let's get on with the conversation. As part of the Lingua Cultura experience, today Anita, Sakaraya, and I are going to be chatting about our different perspectives of teaching kids Indian languages. Um, we both have a very different background, <laughs> uh, but yet we have one thing in common where we both have a desire to teach children, especially our children, languages that uh, are important to us, specifically from South Asia. And we, we both have a different focus uh, from each other. However, a common goal of creating resources for others who want to do the same. So 
Anita, would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, welcome, everybody. And be sure to ping in some other people to the room. Uh, so my name is Anita Sakuraya. I am a learning coach, a mompreneur, and a public speaker. I'm based in the U.S., and I'm a first-generation Indian American. My parents, having migrated to the U.S. from Kerala in the early 70s, I'm now married to an Indian man from Mumbai uh, who is uh, multilingual. And I created something called Basha Kids, which uh, those of you who know the language, it's from South Asia. Basha is a common word across almost every South Asian language. Uh, and I created this in 2019 pre-pandemic. My goal is to make play-based learning materials for children to learn Indian languages through English. And ultimately my goal is to empower parents uh, with tools to promote home language immersion. And my goal is to grow multilingual families Bottom line is I'm making the products that I wish that I had at home 30, 40 years ago. I am a, I had been part of a couple of conversations earlier. I am a person who has suffered heritage language loss. Uh, while I was born in the U.S., my parents um, were trying to raise me with Malayalam. And just like many other kids of immigrants, you're good up to age five. Then you hit school and uh, suddenly um, you're only speaking in English. You're only hearing English all the time. And it's a difficult period, I think, for parents to face and decide how do I um, inculcate this language with my child uh, on top of everything else I already have to do. Um, so that's a little bit of my story, and I'm going to hand the mic back over to Jessica. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so my story is actually kind of opposite from Anita's, where I was born and raised in Midwest United States, and I really had almost no exposure to any other languages besides just the typical high school Spanish. I, uh, as I went to college and graduated, I ended up going to India for an internship and I basically never looked back. <laughs> um, I just fell in love with India and ended up living in Haridwar, which is in Northern India for a number of years. And I was able to just through immersion and also through a language course that I was participating in at that time, uh, was able to become fluent in Hindi. So it's kind of a strange thing because I don't necessarily belong in um, to the South Asian community, but I'm now fluent in Hindi, and then I end up marrying an Indian, and um, also now am trying to teach my children Hindi, and we also live in a, a multilingual society here in Bihar where uh, Hindi is spoken. We also have a number of other dialects that are being spoken. So trying to navigate that with our kids has been really interesting. And especially me being a, a white foreigner, <laughs> which stands out significantly, um, I think that's that's a huge. Uh, it, it, there's a little bit of a cultural clash there. So, okay, um, I will actually say I feel like in some ways we do have things in common in that we're both uh, raised in English. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, raised in the U.S. and marrying people who have uh, different languages than us uh, that we don't share. And so we're both forced to do. I've got to learn this language, even though I know you were living in India for some time. Um, for me, it really came down to, wow, we're going to have kids 
how are we uh, going to raise them? And also there was this one comment my uh, husband made once. It was, it was kind of a sad comment. He's like, wow, I didn't realize I'd be speaking English all my life. <laughs> I was like, oh no. So I was like, I really need to buckle down. Um, so the question that we were first uh, discussing was about how many languages that we speak. Sure. So for me, I would say fluently, I, I speak uh, English and Hindi. If you want to count Urdu also, um, I know some people count Hindi, Urdu as the same thing. Um, and then not as fluently, but have a decent comprehension would be um, most uh, um, languages that are closely related to Hindi. So I would say uh, Metli uh, here in Bihar, we also have Maghai, Bhojpuri. Um, I can understand Nepali. I can understand a bit of Bengali, Gujarati and Punjabi. I would say are those are the, the top ones that I can I can make out what's being said and I, I wouldn't be able to necessarily speak back in that language but I would be able to manipulate Hindi enough to be able to speak. How about you Anita? So I speak English fluently. Uh, I am somewhat fluent in French from studying through school. I uh, learned Spanish because I grew up in Miami in South Florida. Uh, right now, I am learning Tamil oh. uh, with my husband and children uh, while well, he's teaching us. And then we're all making an effort to learn um, the script, uh, which, interestingly enough, having grown up in India, he he didn't he's fluent in Tamil, but he doesn't actually read and write Tamil. Huh. Uh, so now we're all going to try. And I am relearning Malayalam uh, for my own cultural curiosity and to just ex continue to expose my kids. And of course we watch Bollywood movies. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of Hindi in the house, uh, especially when my husband's talking on the phone to his best friend. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's fantastic. Let's see. So one of the questions that was also set up was, have you attempted to help your kids learn the target language and what results did that produce? I can go ahead and answer that one. Um, <laughs> you know, being that my kids are mixed, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a white Caucasian lady and my husband is Bihari Indian. Uh, I think some people expect that my husband is the one that taught me and that he's the one that's teaching the kids. <laughs> so, um, I have actually done quite a bit in helping the kids learn the target language. And my husband, he, he basically just speaks with the kids. We have not adopted the one parent, one language policy just because it didn't really make sense for us in our, in our circumstances. Uh, we decided that we were going to speak as much Hindi at, as possible at home. Um, but one thing that's been mentioned on other talks here in the Lingua Cultura conference is that do what's natural to you. And so it doesn't necessarily come natural to us to for Abhishek just to speak in Hindi and then for myself just to speak in English. I think we've kind of had the view of our kids need to understand within the context how they need to use the language and in what circumstances it's best to use Hindi and what circumstances best to use English. So we've really tried to adopt uh, whenever you can use Hindi, use Hindi. And so that typically will come to anytime we're out in the market, anytime we're out speaking with others, uh, anyone that doesn't understand English, obviously we need to use Hindi. And even people who do understand English, sometimes it's appropriate to use Hindi, which is always the struggle for us, is getting them to 
speak Hindi to people, even who do speak English. So um, we often find ourselves using Hindi when it comes to food and when it comes to family. I think uh, in small commands like "ap nhalo," "ap jaake sojao," like small things that are just little commands. But then when it comes to our emotions, we tend to use more English, and that's worked really well for us. The kids have really picked up on those little commands on certain topics when it comes to food. I don't know if my daughter even knows the word for certain foods in English. <laughs> so um, I think we often use Hindi when it comes to food. How about you, Anita? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the number one thing that uh, people use to pass on, and it's not even conscious, right? It's an unconscious. You pass culture and language through food first, and then uh-huh. um, same thing with family relations, right? We don't say grandma and grandpa. Uh, we say pati and tata for Tamil and mm. amachi apachin for Malayalam. So the same thing. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Um, they don't use certain words. And I've noticed, and, and this is us where it's the minority language for us in terms of mm-hmm. where we live. And so I've struggled with getting my kids to say amma and appa, which is how we prefer to be called with their peers without being embarrassed. Mm. Uh, you know, they want to just automatically go to mommy and daddy, which it's a wonderful learning point. If you can be patient with your kids, that's a little, a lovely point to teach them about what is multiculturalism? What does it mean to be multilingual? Why you don't need to be embarrassed about speaking uh, your language or using certain words because it's an opportunity to teach other kids. Um, And so when my daughter heard uh, once her Korean friend in daycare, he called his mom, Amma, and she couldn't believe it. And I'm like, it's very common in Asia. Uh, So yeah, we have definitely uh, tried, and I'd say it's been more fits and starts um, because we've just decided to be a multilingual household, and Tamil is probably the one that we will be more successful in just based on um, those are, we're much closer to my husband's family, and my parents have since passed away, and me not this is why I'm trying to make this effort to relearn my heritage language is because I realize, wow, they are not going to learn it at all. Uh, so it's the same tactic that you had mentioned uh, earlier that we had heard in another room, which was do what is natural. Um, if you are multilingual, it's not natural to speak only one language uh, all the time. So they are constantly exposed, but we're getting them to try to respond to us in Tamil Although I will say one of my tactics was they were watching a lot of Chota Beam on Netflix in Hindi. So they quickly, <laughs> they, they were running around the house saying, bachao, bachao. <laughs> I was like, that's good. That's okay. So one of the oh. things that I was just going to say, one of the things that I did um, in my efforts was, you know, I did the search just like any other good parent does, looking for classes, looking for online resources, um, and then starting to recognize as my son moved from a toddler into elementary school that he had some real learning challenges and that a regular language school would not be inclusive of someone who learns the way that he does. And so I was like, this is on me. And that doesn't mean that he can't pick up stuff. So I kind of made it my personal mission to develop materials that to meet him where he is. And then I realized a lot of parents could 
probably use stuff like this. And the, the very simple thing I did was when you look up resources, it's usually from the perspective of that language being primary. Malayalam, Tamil, Hindi is the primary language. And here's your English translation. But if you don't read the script, it really doesn't mean anything to you. And if my goal is to simply have my kids learn conversational skills, um, a lot of the stuff that's out there that starts with the alphabet is not very helpful. And I didn't want to close the door to them. I wanted to open the door. And I said, let's focus on conversational skills. And so I just developed material for them to learn through English, through phonetic English, where we would simply write the words in Hindi and Tamil and Malayalam in phonetic English and read it that way. They could approximate 80% of the pronunciation. They'd hear it from their dad the proper way. And boom, they started building vocabulary and they're able to say, you know, simple sentences, respond to simple commands. Um, and now that they're older, they're not toddlers, uh, they're ready for more. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to keep up with them <laughs> and try to learn with them, which is also another fun thing for them to see as an example. Uh, I'm going to hand it back to Jessica. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I think that there's a lot of pressure, especially when there's this there's this idea that the all the good resources come from the motherland, right? There's one way to do it, you know, and you have to do it properly and you have to, you know, have a certain way. And I know you've mentioned that in other conversations. Um, one of the struggles, see, we have we don't have that same struggle because we are surrounded by the language. So our my kids are actually responding well to the, you know, you know, for Hindi and for um for other North Indian languages, that's where you start with writing the script and doing the alphabet. But yes, for, for, and I've actually had to adapt some of the more conversational type of things because English is so dominant in so much of our world. Um, before we ask the next question, I just want to kind of reset the room. We're talking about teaching children Indian languages. And myself, Jessica Kumar and Anita Sakaraya, are here talking about our different experiences, myself as a Caucasian American, teaching my kids Hindi living in India, and Anita living in the U.S. and teaching her children Tamil, Malayalam, and a bit of Hindi. So we're going to move to the next question. And I want you to also, anyone who's listening, I want you to um, keep in mind, we are going to open up the room in about 10 minutes for you to ask questions. So feel free to uh, raise your hand, and then we will... Um, go ahead and start taking questions. And I would like to hear any of your answers on some of these questions as well. So next question is, why is it so difficult for kids to learn Indian languages as opposed to other ethnic groups? You see, especially in the United States, you see people who come from Mexico, from other parts of Central South America, and it seems like it's almost effortless for them to pick up Spanish. It seems like people who grow up, whose parents are European immigrants, that it's so much easier. And why is it for Indians that it's so, seems there's such a, a larger um, uphill battle when it comes to learning Indian languages? And Anita, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, thank you for that question. And I've written down some notes. And again, everyone, my perspective will be that of an Indian American. Um, uh, and growing up in the 70s and the 80s, which is 
different from what opportunities exist for new immigrants today. Uh, I'm going to list off a, a few uh, of why it's difficult. In, immigrants who came in the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, valued acculturation over retaining their culture. Obviously, not everyone, but some, and that there was this idea of assimilation is better. We must strive uh, to be like the country that we, we live in and kind of not not overemphasize how different we are through our, our language and our dress. And next to that is linguistic oppression, uh, which definitely existed in the 70s and 80s and still today. Um, and the way that it expressed itself was even in the school system, and I've had this happen to, to me and my family, where um, immigrant families were told by authorities to stop teaching your child a second language because that would lead to language delays and inhibit their ability to learn English. And we all know now there's copious studies that show that that is a complete myth, yet it's still being um, pushed out in um, the public school systems today. Um, the next part is exactly something that Jessica just touched on, which is this approach to teaching uh, these languages that they are, they are coming, like she said, from the motherland and um, they're not open to using maybe different techniques uh, and that some uh, people at home when they're using their language and this came up in a different room, they associate the language with punishment and then negative feelings. So kids are less likely to want to learn the language if the first learn a word that you learn and in, in Malayalam we say abi, <laughs> are you bueno? Are you you're gonna get a spanking? Uh, so there's already these negative associations formed. Um, and then there's a disconnect related to that that hey when I was in India I learned all these languages. Fine. What's the problem? Why can't you learn? But kind of not really doing a, the critical thinking to understand that you are not in an environment where you're constantly exposed to the language, you may not be around family members that you can have physical um, interactions with. Um, many people who have family who live in the US, well, maybe they live you know, three states over and they don't get together a lot. I certainly, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. And there's, if you live in one of those major metropolitan areas, you are much more likely to have had access and to have retained some level of bilingualism be it receptive bilingualism where you understand but you don't speak to full-on fluent conversation to some kids who even got to learn to read and write. But that was really mm. based in these metropolitan areas like New York, Chicago, Houston. Um, and if you didn't live in one of those areas, you did not have those opportunities. You didn't have those access. Um, mm. And this is one point that I think parents are not as strategic and conscious to make a decision about, I'm gonna teach this to my kid, um, therefore I should treat it like I'm teaching any academic subject. So many of us are great teachers, but we don't think of our mother tongue or our heritage language as something that is to be taught. It's something that's gonna be absorbed through osmosis and a heritage language, there's so much emotion tied to it, tied to it because it's tied to identity. So if I make a mistake, um, when I'm speaking with my family or speaking with my, my mom or so, I would be mocked or um, I would not be supported to make mistakes because it means somehow I'm not a good Malayali, I'm not a good Indian, uh, which is totally different from myself learning French in school 
where making mistakes was okay. It was part of learning, but making mistakes with the heritage language, there's some other emotional aspect tied to that. And that's tied to identity that needs, I would encourage families to think through that aspect of, you know, how are you going to address those issues when you're um, trying to teach your child your language? Uh, so, so those are some of the points. Again, a lack of access that heritage languages are um, emotional, that your approach to teaching is restricted or with the fixed mindset. And then this uh, assimilation, the model minority myth and linguistic oppression. These are all um, barriers to passing on language uh, in I'm sure not just the United States, but where um, immigrants, the, the diaspora has moved here. Wow. There could be an entire conversation just on this question. And I wonder maybe if this is something we can take uh, to the next the next level. I Just the, the things that you shared, I, I feel there's so much there. And, and that's what I wanted you to primarily share. And I would love to hear what other people have to say about that. If so, if any of you want to raise your hand, we can bring you up to the stage in a couple of minutes and we can talk about this point. Um, and the question was, why is it so difficult for kids to learn Indian languages as opposed to other ethnic groups? And we're, our, our experience, Anita and mine, is primarily in the U.S. Um, it's funny. I do not have that issue at all all when it comes to me learning the language. Whenever I, because I'm a Caucasian person, and whenever I make an effort to learn something, I'm praised, I am upheld, or, oh, and I'm just, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's all of the things that you were saying that there's linguistic oppression, there's this understanding that as, as a minority that you, it's your heritage language, and so you should kind of by osmosis already know it. And so then for me, as a foreigner learning the language, especially as a white foreigner, I'm not, the expectation, the bar is so much lower for me of, oh, well, look at you, you're special, you're learning our language, you're doing this, you're adopting our culture. And if I wanted to, you know, you see all these people with their YouTube videos, uh, you know, speaking like the most lousy Hindi or Punjabi or whatever, ever. And there's like instant 5,000 followers. You're like, seriously, you know, there's, there's a difference here. But if you were to make a video, Anita, about yourself and trying to continue this heritage language, you know, it, it, it doesn't get the same attention. And so I think there is some definitely white privilege involved in the success that I've been able to have in learning a language because I had so much encouragement and push towards that direction. But I do see with my kids actually being that they are, um, you know, have brown skin. Uh, it's not as easy. They're not as praised as I am when they speak and um, things of that sort. I would love to hear what others have to say. If you want to raise your hand and if you have any comments on this, please, please feel free. Just know, um, this room is being recorded. So if you want to say anything, it will be on record. Let's move on to the next question. Um, so for you, Anita, as you were saying, it almost reflects your Indianness <laughs> in a sense. So what does it mean for you to have your kids speak an Indian language? Um, 
I have to say that my goals for my kids, I, I have much lower expectations for them. And it's been through some conscious uh, thought and reflection over the last few years, understanding that my kids have to make up their own choice, what they're gonna be, um, how are they gonna carry themselves, what they wanna do with their lives. And that includes what languages they want to speak. So my goal for my kids is simple, is number one, accept accents are normal and not something to be laughed at. Um, two is just uh, that multilingualism is normal uh, and something to strive for, something to be celebrated. Uh, and that uh, I want them to, if I can, avoid the trauma that I went through as a first uh, generation uh, kid, which is this idea of a holistic identity formation. I think a lot of us in this, I, I've done a series of interviews uh, through Basha Kids on Instagram Live with um, people in the language sphere. And I had one recently with someone uh, who's also relearning Malayalam in particular. And we both had a very similar experience. And I think many immigrants have this where you, you, are, you are both, you're Indian American, at, at the same time, you're both Indian American and you're also neither. So when I'm in the US, I'm looked upon as simply Indian, right? And that's by my name, my skin color, um, you know, and I also somehow represent the entire country of India, even though uh, my family's from Kerala. But when you're in India, uh, I'm looked on as American and I'm not Indian at all. Uh, and even though I can mask myself in a sari or a salvar. Um, I, I swear, sometimes I, it's just the way that I walk down the street. I feel like people are like, oh, she's not from here. <laughs> so for me, for my kids to speak in Indian language, I would just be happy that they make that choice. It's not something that I want to force upon them. I want them to see being Indian and speaking a language as something to be proud of and something that's a beautiful part of their identity. Um, and I, I would hope that they choose to accept it as opposed to going through this process that all of us go through as first generation kids of completely rejecting, you know, you're all, all of us go through uh, the rebel years in our teens, right? But you, there is a period where you completely reject who you are, where you came from. I don't want any more Sambar in Italy. Uh, I'm so embarrassed by my parents' accents. Uh, I'm going to be as American as I can be. And then you get to college and suddenly discover an Indian Students Association. And you're like, wow, it's great to be Indian. Um, so that's what it means. It was kind of a roundabout way. But for me, it's not just speaking a language. It's how do you identify uh, yourself? And can you be proud of where you came from? And, and awesome, it would be really awesome if you know, when COVID is over and we can fly back to India, I would really love for them to spend some time with their Pati. She's the only grandparent they have left. And mm. wouldn't it be wonderful if they could speak to her in Tamil and mm. she could understand them and speak to them in Tamil. That's like a moment mm. that I would really cherish. Breaking in just for a sec here. Have you heard about our free Hindi starter kit for kids? It's a free download on our website, and it includes several pages of my favorite recommendations for Hindi learning books and movies for kids. This is based out of my experience of teaching my own kids Hindi and learning myself. Go to our website, InvisibleIndiaPodcast.com, and the sign up to download is right on the homepage. I hope this helps.
Speaking of Hindi learning, Launch India is a Hindi-Urdu language and orientation service offering online and in-person language sessions using an immersive and relational approach called the GPA, Growing Participator Approach. This is very similar to how I learned. They offer flexible scheduling suited to meet the varied needs of language learners today. Try the phase one course to learn over 1,000 key words and phrases in as little as two hours a day for 12 weeks. Meet with a certified language coach to determine which of the other phases the program will help deeply enrich your skills in understanding, speaking, and building relationships in India or wherever you live. The other services include kids' classes, Hindi script workshops, grammar workshops, as well as fully furnished apartments in Delhi for short or long-term stays in India to make the most of the in-person learning options. Check out launchin.in for more information and mention the Invisible India podcast to receive 10% off your first 100 hours of language sessions. That's awesome. I personally know several people who have been through this program. And like I always say, immersion is the best. Second is a tutor. And this approach actually has both. So launch India. Feel free to check out the the links and everything are in the show notes. I hope somebody, you take advantage of this opportunity. All right, back to the show. Wow. Yeah, the question was, what does it mean for you to have your kids speak in Indian language? And if anyone would like to raise your hand, we can, uh, we're going to open it up for others to also share. Um, For me, what does it mean for my kids to speak in Indian language? Someone who's, as someone who's not Indian, I, I see the cultural digestion of particularly um, when Indians move to the West or when there's a a East-West kind of mix. It's so easy. You really have to almost fight to retain what you have as an Indian person. And I see that struggle. Um, For my spouse, you know, he grew up in India. His first language is Hindi. Uh, his parents do not speak English. So for us, it is an absolute must that our kids learn Hindi because we are very connected to them. So that was one of the reasons why we actually chose to move back to India, uh, uh, even after having children, is that we wanted our kids to be connected to their Indianness. Uh, we also got jobs here, but uh, that was something that was a primary goal for us, is for our kids to be able to speak and understand and and um, have that connection, and we recognize that it's not just the language; it's the whole kind of sense of being. I was even having a conversation with my son the other day about weddings. We drove by; there was a shadi going on in our neighborhood, and the shehnai was playing. You know, the instrument that's played often at weddings and sometimes funerals, and. He said, well, I don't like that sound. I said, well, if you, when you get married, you're going to have Shanghai, right? He said, well, what if I get married in America? I said, well, you're still Indian, so you can have an Indian-American wedding. And so just talking with him about these small things of, you know, it doesn't have to be that if you live in America, you're this way, or if you live abroad, you're this way. Uh, you know, you're Indian wherever you go. And so understanding that, but you're also, you're also American, and you also do have a white mom, and you do have a lot of cultural elements 
that uh, are from my side um, as well. So for me, it means that they're connected and understand uh, just where they come from, the heritage from where their father is from and their grandparents. And, and I think so far they are really doing a great job at understanding and connecting. It definitely makes it a lot easier that we live here. But even that we, when we live here, I feel just the domination of English, the domination of, especially with schools and with everyone here wanting to learn English. Uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. Okay, sure, we have uh, a question here. So Kanishka and Samir, I'm going to invite you guys to come up to the stage. Kanishka, would you like to uh, go first and would you like to add something to these conversation points? Yeah, thanks, Jessica. So Kanishka, uh, originally from Sri Lanka, uh, but I am currently living in the United States in a city called Philadelphia, and my wife is originally from... Calcutta, India, and we are both grad students, and uh, we're going to New York in August, and uh, so in the next three years, we are hoping to. It's a family here as well, so I, I, I think I sort of asked a, a similar question from Ask Tatsu the other day in a different room, but um, I wasn't really, really happy with, with the answer that I got, because along with languages, uh, if I were to bring up my kids over here in the U.S., it's a third country because I'm from Sri Lanka, my wife's from India, and they 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 they, they will be American citizens. It's just like a it's a three way street. And I I if if my son or daughter were to ask me who am I, right, uh, and 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 what's my identity, um, I I would go black. Um, I and I don't know if you, if your kids have asked similar questions. Um, but if it is a three-way street like that, um, I would like to know like, how to sort of respond um, um, or a question like that. Um, my name is Kanishka, and I am done speaking. Sure, I can take a stab at it first, and then I'll also ask Anita to share that. Just very briefly, I find that kids don't really ask that question, who am I? Uh, directly. It com comes out in other ways. Like I just shared a little story about my son saying, well, I don't want to have Shanai at my wedding if I get married in America. Uh, just kind of those little slight things that you can correct and you can give a very specific response uh, to. I think that a lot of times kids' brains aren't developed to, to they're, they're asking those large existential questions like we do as adults, like, what's my identity? What's my this? It just kind of comes out a little more naturally and in small ways. So I think just correcting and, and encouraging those little small things of saying that, um, well, you know, I don't, I don't like, you know, this certain food or I like American food better. Well, Actually, you do like idli sambal. That's an Indian food. Or what about bindi roti? You like that. That's Indian food. Uh, yes, you like pizza. And it's okay to like both of those things. So kids will ask those kind of more concrete questions. And I think those are the much easier questions. I wouldn't worry too much, Kaniska, about uh, your kids asking, who am I? Because I don't know if I could even answer that myself. <laughs> I must not answer that for my child. So what do you think, Anita? Anita? Uh, okay, uh, so 
uh, Kanishka, my daughter is seven. And yesterday uh, she told me she considered herself to be Blindian, which is African-American and Indian. I'm like, where did you get that? So she's confused. Okay. And it just listen to what Jessica said. They don't really get into it um, for a long time. Uh, and it comes in different phases. It's like an onion. It just, you know, it'll come with waves. And it's your responsibility. I my my idea is about growth mindset and that let them make their own independent choices. And that's something that we have to let go of holding on to them so tight because they are going to be their own people. So when you do encounter that question, ask, just throw it back to them. You don't have to answer it, ask them, well, what do you want your identity to be? And I would encourage you to surround them and con continually share with them all different facets of their identity. Um, People who are not from India don't may not recognize my husband and myself are in a mixed marriage, uh, him being a Tamil Brahmin and me being a Malayali Christian. So when we go to India, everyone gives us the raised eyebrow, like, how did that happen? Um, and so we definitely have different religions and different, I know, very different cultures. And even I used to make the mistaken assumption that Tamil and Malayalam were so close to each other, and yet they are different enough that I get confused and my husband gets confused when he, he hears Malayalam and I hear Tamil. So my point is present them everything, show them all facets of uh, being Sri Lankan and, and um, now also being American and helping them to choose, but also helping them understand that you're always going to be seen one way and it's your responsibility how you uh, react to how you're seen. Uh, so you don't let, need to let anyone else determine who you are. You get to determine uh, who you are. Um, I can tell you an example. My son took, in, when he was in first grade, he learned how to write his name in Tamil. And he took it to his first grade class to, to show them. And what happened? Uh, several kids in the classroom laughed right out loud and said, that's just scribble. And, you know, he was... He was disappointed that the teacher tried to stick up for him. But when he came home, you know, I had to point out to him, you know, Arjun, you know, you have an Indian name uh, and it's from a great mythical warrior. But do you know that you got a passport very early in life? Do you know that some of your friends have not even left the state of Virginia? So, again, it's an opportunity for your child when they face those racial situations and microaggressions. How do I turn it around and make it a teaching moment? Because I'm going to stand tall in who I am, who I want to be. I'm done speaking. Great. Hey, thank you very much, ladies. That helps a lot. Mm, great advice, Anita. I, I, that's really an excellent example. Um, Samid, I think you're up next. And uh, just before I ask you to unmute, we're talking about uh, here, raising kids and teaching children Indian languages. So what is your question for us, Samir, or your comment? Yeah, yeah. thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Anita, for inviting. So, yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't have any major question, but I would like to definitely share one uh, kind of thing. I mean, sorry, our, our incidents happened with my son, so maybe that's just... Uh, Interesting, like, uh, so also, by the way, my background, right? So I'm from Gujarat originally, uh, back in India. And of course, been in US for almost like, I don't know, 
15, 20 years now almost. So, so yeah, I'm just kind of half both sides. <laughs> uh, but uh, so now, yeah, when my kids were growing, so of course I'm trying to teach them at least Gujarati language uh, the best I can, right? And as, as Anita explained, those different challenges are there. And I'm also like trying to guide them to learn as much as they can instead of forcing them or anything. Because if you could not create a love towards anything, you're not gonna preserve or you're not gonna you know keep it right alive. So 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 yeah, my approach has been like that. But 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 what interesting incident I want to share is uh, what happened. My son was like less than around four year old, uh, or four, yeah, four, four and five, right? So of course he was speaking Gujarati, you know, and of course watching TV in English, English and everything, right? So, so here's when interesting thing happened. So once he went to the kindergarten, and he started to get more command on English, right? And then he asked me one day, "Hey, hey, Dad, now you know English, Mom knows English, now I know English." Why is do still speaking Gujarati? Hey, that, that's perfectly valid question. And I thought about it for a couple of seconds, and I had a very interesting happen with my back. Uh, sorry, uh, what do you call that? My my um uh, as a backup. Just a couple of days back in the school, they just learned a one to ten in Spanish. So uno cuatro cinco, right? So he was just uh, speaking those words when he came back home. And then I just use that as just analogy and say, hey, buddy, okay, listen, your teacher knows English, your friends knows English, you know English, why we were learning uno cuatro cinco. And that started him wondering, right? <laughs> so almost six years old at that time. Uh, and then, uh, and yeah, and then with that little thing, he put thoughts on it. And then I just said, okay, so because there are so many languages in the world, it's okay to learn as many as you can because scientifically proven now, right? You, if you know more languages, your brain gonna work better. So there's nothing wrong with it, uh, speaking only one language, but if you know more language, it's always gonna be better, right? If you go to India, if you know Gujarati, you can interact with the other people there. And then I said, you, you know, since you're in the US, you might need to learn Spanish when you're gonna grow up, right? Maybe Chinese, because if you wanna do business or you wanna travel China, whatever, right? So, so anyway, so since then, he never like kinda raised it, and then he even started to show a little more interest, and then I'm glad so far. And then eventually he said, okay, now I know Gujarati almost, and he decided to even learn Hindi. So now he's, even he's by himself at certain level, he's motivated to learn Hindi also. So, so that's at least my experience. And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to share with you guys. So that's uh, one thing, yep. Thank you so much, Samir, for that. I think that it's a very common uh, struggle that you have is when the kids get a little older and they're realizing that there are so many other languages and, and cultures and that they, especially if they're in the US, they might not be a part of that dominant language and culture, then how do you fit into that? And I think you've handled that beautifully as a parent. Again, we're talking here about teaching kids Indian languages. The session is being recorded. And so if you've raised your hand, if you have a question or a comment, feel free to um, go ahead and raise your hand. We um, next is Dan. So Dan, what's your question or comment for us? Hi, Jessica. Thanks. And Anita, th thank you uh, so much for, for sharing your stories as well. The question I had just was based off of, and could you confirm real quick, you said when you mentioned that your son could still adopt the Indian wedding tradition if, if he was in the States. Is that, was that correct? 
Yeah, that was what I mentioned in that particular instance. Yeah. Do you think maybe part of it with the difficulty with Indian languages is that the kids maybe, oh, this is not that cool. Like, I, I'm, I'm worried that I want to, I'm not going to fit in as an American and whatnot. And, and the, the thought I had um, to give some more context is that. I don't think we have to force our kids or make it seem like they're choosing one culture over the other. I think we can have both. We can still be, you know, American or I'm Canadian and we can still uphold uh, elements of both tradition. Maybe they don't like every single thing. Like uh, you guys were mentioning about the different foods and they say, Oh, I only like American food. But then you pointed out like, Oh, you actually do like some Indian food. So I think as long as we can get, bring that awareness do you think that's that's a big thing where they almost feel like it's maybe not as cool as, as other languages and, and how, how can we get that or, or is maybe that not not the issue at all? Um, I, yeah, I want to I hear what Anita has to say. I'll give a quick response. I think that a lot of it does have to do with the lack, especially in the United States, the lack of representation of Indians in media. And uh, also that I think there's been a long history of um, – of, of like, you know, underhanded racism against uh, Indians and people from South Asia. They're kind of uh, character caricaturized as being funny or awkward or the, you know, Simpsons, what's that guy, Raju or whatever. Uh, I never watched that show, but uh, thank you, Apu. And so it's kind of like there's these ideas that Indians are funny or that, you know, you're not cool, that Indian culture is weird. Um, and I think there's been a lot of like, hundreds of years of history that's behind that rather than seeing how incredibly rich and actually uh, incredibly advanced Indian society is. So I think they're, the kids are very quick to catch to catch that. And even that, that also comes from here, I'm living in India, we, we experience that all the time. People are constantly like deferring to me as the white person and, uh, oh, you know, what about you? You're so advanced or you're so this and that and the other thing. And, you know, yours must be so educated and all this, that and the other when they themselves have their master's degree, but they don't necessarily see it as, as valid or their experiences as valid because they're Indians and I'm an American. So there's there's all of these um, privileges and, and things which I think kind of are in go into the mix. And kids are very quick to pick those things up as they're learning and navigating the world. So, I mean, one of the things, um, I have a podcast it's called the Invisible India Podcast. And one of my goals with that is just exploring language, talking about culture, being a foreigner abroad, but also uplifting Indian voices so that that Indian stereotype breakers themselves or people of Indian, Indian origin can share their experiences, can share their, um, their lives and, and not it being from me translating that for them as a white person, but them be able to share themselves. Anita, what do you have to add to that question? Uh, thank you, uh, Jessica. And thank you, Dan, for your question. Um, I would take your question. Absolutely. They don't think it's cool. That's definitely part of it. And that gets back to my uh, talking about that rejection of your Indian heritage. But I would turn your question around and ask, why don't they think it's cool? Why? What is it that they don't like? And it ties into everything Jessica just said about these 
about being a minority language, about um, your culture and where you come from, being laughed at and being made fun of, being mocked, that everyday micro racial microaggressions um, in the classroom that I thought would pretty much disappear even when I was growing up in the 80s. And yet here I am a generation later watching um, my son having to go through things in, in the public school where they are um, one of three Indian families in our, our elementary school. And, you know, some kid was calling him out about his skin color and said, your skin looks like poop. Your skin is the color of poop. Again, this was first grade is really tough for us. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, having to explain like, no, I have brown skin and I'm proud of it. At least uh, he uh, was able to band with an Ethiopian student who's like, yo, dude, you're crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it comes back to, Absolutely, children um, should be able to choose uh, what their identity is, but they're not at that level of cognition um, in those formative years, right? From preschool through elementary school to really start making choices, but they do pick up on negative connotations and that negative connotation surrounds us um, in our society um, through very blatant things where when you, you hear about um, Incidents like the first people killed after 9-11, there was a Sikh guy at um, who owned a gas station, right? That that you are called out uh, for wearing a turban. We're even afraid at times if we're boarding a flight, of course, pre-pandemic, to even speak Tamil or Hindi, lest we get the stares, right? Oh, what language are they speaking? Like, oh, great, they're going to call uh, the federal marshals on us, uh, you know, or always being afraid of when is the next Karen moment going to happen? Kids definitely pick up on that. Um, and so I would turn that question around that it, it is totally valid. Okay, hey, you don't think it's cool. Tell me why you don't think it's cool. What is it about it that you don't like? And it actually goes right back to what Jessica said, is not understanding the rich history that they come from. And I've teamed up with an, a local cultural school here in Northern Virginia and called Mary Samskriti, which means my culture. And I am developing a curriculum with them about Heritage 101 classes. And it's not, it is, it is not religious and it doesn't focus on North India or South India, but it's just this um, kind of a secular look at what does it mean to be Indian? But the way the classes we're, we're devising them is helping kids work through those questions themselves and identify with what it means for them. And that is a conversation that um, any immigrant, any minority needs to really I, have and have multiple times um, throughout your life. And I'm reevaluating it here in my 40s. Um, but I hope that helps answer your question, uh, Dan. Thank you. What resources have you found were lacking in that Indian American space for language learning for kids or for, for anyone really. Um, and, and, and maybe this can translate also into other, uh, other countries, people who are uh, NRIs living, NRIs, non-resident Indian living abroad somewhere else. But for you specifically, what resources have you found were lacking? And then I know you're also a creator and you've created some resources. So I wanna hear uh, you talk about that a little bit too. Uh, thank you, Jessica. Uh, so again, I founded Basha Kids in 2019 and basically making play-based materials because I absolutely 100% believe kids learn through play. Uh, and they're 
through learning through English. And right now I have things in Hindi, Tamil, and Malayalam, uh, vocabulary sets and worksheets, but I have committed myself to 10 South Asian languages. Uh, so Marathi, Telugu, and Gujarati will be coming out uh, later this year. Urdu and Punjabi are being developed, and I also have Kannada and Bengali in the wings. Um, and I'll tell you, how did I end up coming on this? And I had mentioned it earlier before, was I was looking for stuff to teach my kids, and I was thinking about what would I have used when I was a kid, uh, what would have been helpful to me? Uh, and I kept running into these barriers where I would look on YouTube and they were always teaching the alphabet. Uh, and for me, I think my kids learning to read and write Tamil or Malayalam was not very practical and it wouldn't be relevant. And if it's not relevant to any learner, if it's not relevant to you, what is your motivation to learn it? Uh, and so then looking for teaching through English, I would find a few resources, but they were very busy and very, and I don't want to say this, but, you know, kind of crude, you know, not, just not very well made and not good quality. And I am a, a learning coach, a curriculum designer, a facilitator by uh, profession. So I knew when it comes to teaching kids and you're giving them something to look at, it's got to be clear and precise and not inundated with multiple images or multiple um, words. And so I purposely didn't even put this, the word in the script because I said, let them focus on an image and let them focus on that. So I was finding things that were too busy. I was finding things that focused on the script. And then the thing that got me was the representation, which Jessica has brought up as well. And I also find that people, things that are produced in India and also I see this in Singapore, a lot of the images they use of children are not Indian children. <laughs> they are kids either with very, very, very fair skin and red hair and blue eyes or blonde hair and green eyes and speaking perfect Tamil. And I'm with that, I mean, my child instantly rejected that. And I say, if they can't see themselves, how are they, again, touching on relevance and motivation? Um, and then even things with animation, um, a lot of this stuff was just, there's a, a lot of stuff on YouTube. But first of all, when I, all those barriers that I was talking about earlier, a lot of those were from the 70s through the 90s. With social media today, there is a lot of resources out there, but what is the right resource for someone where this is a minority language and you are surrounded by English? Uh, so that is something that I chose to create. I will recommend, uh, Guys, I absolutely love this cartoon series. It was on Hotstar, which is a streaming service similar to Netflix, but it's all Indian stuff. Um, there's a cartoon series called The Legend of Hanuman. It, its animation was at the level of Pixar. It was absolutely amazing. And you can watch it with English subtitles in at least seven different Daisy languages. Uh, so that was fantastic. But going back to the animation is just not on par. If kids here are used to Peppa Pig, they're used to um, Wild Kratz, they're used to PBS quality animation. Um, they're not going to gravitate to some of the animations that, that's out there on YouTube. So again, going to back to what Dan said, it's not cool enough. Um, so that's what I had found that was lacking. And as you said, it's not just Indian American space. So I have heard from people in Singapore, in the UK, in Europe, in Malaysia, in Australia, um, looking for resources uh, similar to what we have created with Basha Kids um, 
And so I don't know if, I know Jessica, you found those useful for your kids. And um, Jessica has also started on Invisible India. She's just had a couple of cute episodes with the kids and learning fruits in Hindi. Uh, so I'd love to hear about uh, how that came about. Yeah, I've used some of Anita's resources and the flashcards. And then there's also the um, printable as well. I You can look on Anita's website, Bahasha Kids. You can look on my website, Invisible India podcast.com slash offers. I have all her stuff listed there. And uh, I think that what you've noted, I would agree with everything that you said about representation, about the quality not being as high of what our kids are used to consuming American media. And another thing I would add is just like, there's a lot of stuff out there, like you said, but what what are the things that are actually going to connect at the right level for that child? And so one thing that I put together recently was the Hindi Learning Starters Kit for Kids. It's on my website. If you go to invisibleindiapodcast.com and there should there's a prompt on the bottom that you can just sign up to download it. It's a free download and it's ideal for ages zero to six. And I've recommended some of the things that you also mentioned, things on, on uh, Disney Plus, Hotstar and Netflix, certain things that I think this is the right level for a child. And this is the best ways to utilize that resource to get your child to comprehend or get your child speaking. And um, I would say really that, you know, one of the, some of the things I'm trying to create on my podcast are more interactive type of lessons where it's a, it's a video for a child to watch with other kids. And uh, they were talking, I did one recently where my child's were, my children were talking to me about fruit. So it's, it's, a, it's English and Hindi. So we throw in some Hindi things there, but at least to enough English to keep the child interested in the story and, and what we're talking about. And we're showing how to cut a mango and all of these little cultural elements that I want my kids to, to be connected to and also sharing that with other children. So yeah, I have other resources on my podcast and on my site, Invisible India Podcasts, like I just mentioned quickly wanted to say thank you to to Jessica and Anita for uh, preparing such a wonderful presentation and sharing so much about their passion for uh, teaching uh, Indian languages. And I wanted to apologize. I don't know what happened there with the S in the title. I apologize, Jessica. Uh, But I just really just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who uh, have participated in the conversation today, but also all throughout the conference. Uh, I've really appreciated seeing all of you. Thank you so much, Vista. And thank you everyone again. Hope you'll have a wonderful day or evening, wherever you are. Feel free to connect with us. I know all my links are in my profile and Anita's as well, Instagram and our websites and all of that. So, all right, take care everyone. The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Henley on Tabla on Rag Bhim Palasi.